turn with me then in your Bibles to Nehemiah and chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. And we come in here at the very beginning of the book in the, um, in the middle of a quite an epic story. You see, at this point in the history of our fathers, the people of Israel, uh, God's people, uh, what's happened is that uh, they've gone into exile. They've been taken away from their homeland, away from where God is in the temple, and they've been taken away from there all the way into the far-flung reaches of Persia. It's something like a five-month journey or something mad like that. It's really far away. And Nehemiah, one of the Jews, one of the people from Israel, is in exile in Persia. We see there in the first few verses that his, one of his brothers comes to him. Uh, and he, he, Nehemiah is there in the city. He's uh, like he's minding his own business. He's got a job. He's got, um, he's got a family, probably. Um, he's, you know, he's got brothers and things. And he's, he's just there minding his own business about his job. And his brother comes to him from Jerusalem. Because already some people have been starting to go back home, back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. And so when his brother comes to him, he just wants to know all about Israel. Because although he's in this city, Persia, Susa, he's in this place that he's always known as, his, as, as where he's lived. He wants to know from his brother about his home. There's a saying where I come from, you can take the boy out of the valleys, but you can't take the valleys out of the boy. And that's what's happening here for Nehemiah. He's outside of Jerusalem, but you just can't take Jerusalem out of him. It's in his heart. When his brother tells him that Jerusalem is in dire straits, he's crushed. He's so upset. It says that I sat down. It said he collapses into his chair and he weeps for his homeland. And he's praying and praying and praying and praying. And he's mourning and he's begging and he's fasting. He's pulling on God's robe, as it were, begging him to hear him, pray, calling out from the heart. It's a real prayer. Nehemiah's prayer is more moving than any Shakespeare or any Ed Sheeran or anything like that. It's, it lets us see right into a man's heart. It lets us peer right into his soul. And more than that, when, when we see what's inside Nehemiah's heart, we'll see some things in there about the Lord. We're going to be taught some things from Nehemiah's prayer, which you can't get from a horoscope, which you can't get from a fortune cookie or any sort of daily thought video or whatever it is. We'll see things that come out of Nehemiah's prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God's word. And it's going to teach us some things about the Lord our God. So first of all, let's look at Nehemiah's heart. Let's have a let's peer in there as we read his prayer and we see inside his heart what's in there. What do you think characterized Nehemiah's prayer as we read it there in chapter one? What's inside his heart? If you look at verse six, you see his heart is full of confession. He says, I have sinned. I have sinned. Nehemiah says, I have said things, I have thought things, I have done things which offend the Lord my God. I'm a sinner in his sight. Why does Nehemiah think that? What makes him think that he's a sinner? Why does he think he's said and thought and done things that are wicked and evil and wrong? He's never been to church. He's never been to the temple or Israel or synagogue. 
or anything like that. He's never been to church. He's never heard a sermon. He probably never met a prophet. How, who told him? How does he know that he's a sinner? If you look there in verse 7, he says, I have broken God's law. What he's saying is, I've read the Bible. I've read it, and it tells me I'm a sinner. That's how Nehemiah knew. Nehemiah opens up his Bible, and he reads things like Psalm 14, where it says, there is no one who does good. No, not, not even one. No one who does good. He reads verses like Isaiah 53, where it says, we all, all of us, like sheep, we've gone astray. We've wandered away up onto the hills and we're far away from where we're supposed to be. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. He reads verses like Isaiah 64, where it says, all of us, all of us have become like someone who is unclean. All of our righteousness, all of our righteous deeds even the best things that we've ever done are like filthy ranks in the sight of God. Nehemiah read his Bible and it told him that he's a filthy, rotten sinner, far away from the standard of goodness that the Lord holds. The Lord holds a standard of perfection that we were telling the children about a moment ago, and he knows he's far away from that. He agrees. He agrees when the Bible says he's a sinner. Does that sound familiar to you? I wonder if you, uh, when you were children, uh, when you were being told off by mom or dad, and you can just remember agreeing. Yep, I did that. I did that, that was wrong. Or berated in work, or whatever it is. Or a friend comes up to you and he says, look, this, you're doing this and your character's done that and you're thinking these things. When you said that, it was really hurtful and cruel and uh, you just have to agree. If you'll allow me to use myself as an illustration, when I was younger, I would read my Bible, it told me I was a sinner, and I agreed. And I feared meeting God, not so much because of the judgment, I feared that, but I was afraid because I knew I would agree with him. I would agree with the Lord Jesus when he told me I'm a sinner. Now, you and I, we have the same Bible as Nehemiah had. Um, we have the New Testament, of course, but we have the same Bible as Nehemiah had. And so the same verses that we just spoke about then, they speak to us. None of us have ever done any good in the sense that it takes faith to do something that is good, the Bible says. Uh, everything that we do is, is, is polluted by sin. Furthermore, we read verses like Romans 3, which says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of his standard. I wonder, do you know what this is like? I'm sure you do. In a moment of weakness, you do something nasty to someone. Or perhaps even deliberately sometimes, calculated way, you design some cruel, nasty, harsh comment against someone and you don't hold back. Or sometimes we indulge in awful thoughts and we indulge on, in them on purpose and we let them run away in our minds and we would never admit it to anyone. Have you ever heard that phrase that goes around a lot, nobody's perfect? 
Well, how far removed is that from all have sinned? And so when those times do occur and we fall short and we sin and we know it, we feel bad. Uh, God has given us a conscience and it condemns us. It tells us that what we've done is wrong. And then we come to the Bible, perhaps for something to soothe our consciences, and it gets worse. We read verses like James 2, verse 10, where it says, when you fail at one law, you fail at them all. Or you read in Galatians, if you're going to keep the law, you better keep all of it. And so our consciences, our minds, our hearts, the word of God, his Holy Spirit, they all work together to tell us, convince us and convict us that we, with Nehemiah, are sinners. And so this sight into Nehemiah's heart, unfortunately, is a sad sight into our own. And we can all say with Nehemiah, we should all say, I have sinned. All right, then. Well, why doesn't Nehemiah do something about that? Why doesn't Nehemiah turn over a new leaf? Why doesn't he just clean up his act? Why doesn't he just be good? Stop sinning, Nehemiah. Nehemiah knows that it's not just what comes out of his heart that makes him a sinner, but sin is always all around him. If you look at verse 6 again, you get these interesting words there where he's lumping himself in with other sinners. He says, I'm confessing the sins of all us Israelites, all of my people and my father's house and all of us. We're all sinners together, he says. We're all under the same category as sinner written over us all. It's not just individually, but as a people, as a group, as, as a whole category, as a nation and so forth, we're sinners. So there's Nehemiah in the citadel, in the capital city, and he's looking outside his window and he sees people sinning. He sees somebody there who's robbing someone. He sees somebody there who's looking up a woman in a dirty way. He sees someone there who's hitting his children in an unrestrained sort of manner, just doing them some serious harm and all sorts of things. And he doesn't say, uh, oh, I'm, I'm not as bad as them. And I'm not as bad as that man there who's just cursing away. I'm not as bad as that drunkard over there. He says, their sins are on me. When he reads his world news, he doesn't say, I'm better than them. Well, why should I pay for their sins? He says, that's me. I'm as guilty as they are. Remember, there was a man in the Bible called Isaiah, and he once said to the Lord Jesus, he said, I, I have unclean lips and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. There's pollution and sin all around us. We're no better than the worst of them. You might see on the TV sometimes um, criminals going down for a long time in court for all sorts of different crimes. And uh, you think, oh, at least I'm not as bad as them. I wouldn't have done that. Good job. It's not me getting caught there. But what would you do? What would you do if you had a whole day or a whole weekend to yourself and nobody would ever find out what you did? What would you do if there was no consequences to your actions, what vengeance would you take into your own hands? What harm would you do to someone else? What pleasure would you exact at the cost of other people? These sins are in all of us, and uh, as, as a group, we are guilty. And that's, that's, a, that's a foreign concept, really, isn't it? Um, I don't know about you, but um, 
uh, seems to be unusual, adopting the guilt of other people. But recently in the news and on the internet and all sorts of things, we're seeing things like uh, phrases like white guilt and male privilege and Black Lives Matter and all these different movements that mean that these days more people are willing to call themselves guilty for the sins of their wider people or wider society. And that's quite interesting because for Christians that translates over very well. We live in a nation that is really materialistic, isn't it? Are you materialistic? Of course we all are. We live in a very materialistic world. Our society is particularly heartless. Often there's selfishness that drives much of what's going on. Do you have a hand in that? Our society is heartless. How can I not have a hand in that? Our country is deeply moralistic, and yet it doesn't seek the Lord Jesus. And these are things that characterise our society. And what Nehemiah is saying here is that I'm guilty as a group, not just as an individual. I can't possibly turn over a new leaf and clean myself. There's no part of my life that doesn't have sin in it. As a group, as a people, a nation, a society, as a church, or whatever you want, we all have a responsibility to fight things like extreme abortion, or uh, poverty, or homophobia, violence against women, racism, and all sorts of things. But we fail. Is it possible? Is it possible to be guiltless? The point here that Nehemiah is making that I'm trying to drive home is that there is always some sin left. Doesn't matter how hard we try, doesn't matter how much we confess, doesn't matter what we do, there is always sin left. Is there any part of life which is not corrupted by sin? If we spend ourselves for some sort of justice, there will always be something that we haven't done. We can't clean ourselves. We're guilty together and as a group, like it or not, we are all in the same boat and it's sinking. You know, when the Lord Jesus came, he didn't add anything new to that in this respect anyway. He was a shining light in the world and uh, he exposed these things in us. When he came into the world, he brought with him the word of God. And when he brought it to us, uh, he said things like this. He said, the things that come from the heart make a man unclean. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, lying, slander. These things make a man unclean. He came preaching repentance. That's how it's just summed up in the Bible. He came preaching repent and believe. He came promising, when he came, he promised to send his Holy Spirit. And do you know what the Holy Spirit's going to do when he, when he comes? Jesus said, he will convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. Jesus called all people everywhere sinners who need saving. Is he right? When he said that, was he telling the truth? Are you a sinner who needs saving or is Jesus wrong? There is no part of our lives where we can't say, I have sinned. Now, let's, let's uh, 
leave Nehemiah's heart there now and look upwards and consider what does this prayer tell us about God? This prayer tells us that the Lord, first thing, is faithful in justice. You see that in verse 8, where Nehemiah is saying, remember the justice that you promised. And we're going to see three things. We're going to see that the justice is already here. There's more to come. And then I'm going to give you some proof for that. Okay. so first of all, it's already here. Nehemiah, at this point in his prayer, cites the Bible where the Lord warned, if you sin, I will put you in exile. Now, where is Nehemiah when he when he's saying this? He's in exile. He's literally living in the consequences of the sin of himself and his people. And what does he say? He doesn't say that's not fair. He says, remember that you said this, Lord. Remember that. It's right. It's right. You're just. You're faithful. Nehemiah says this is what happens in a sinful world. Sin ruins lives. And many of you will know this better than I do, because I'm just not old enough yet. I'm still learning this lesson, that adultery destroys families, that lies bring injustice. And perhaps you've been a victim of that yourself. Anarchy brings chaos. Bitterness consumes people. Pride grows into jealousy. Greed makes you discontent. And thanklessness makes you discontent too. Gossip splits churches. Not loving the Lord Jesus brings death. And just like Nehemiah's generation, we're all paying the price for this today. God's justice, which he's faithful to give, is already here. If you want to read more about that later, you can do so in Romans 1 through 3, and that makes it all quite plain. But wait a second. Something isn't adding up. Something doesn't make any sense here. Think about Nehemiah. He is uh, employed by the most powerful man in the world. He lives in the capital city of the greatest nation in the world. He's, uh, he's, you know, he's, he lives in a first world country. He's got all of his needs met. Yes, there's sin, yes, judgment and all of that. And he's in exile. But why not just make the most of it? Isn't he overreacting here uh, by fasting and praying for so long and really giving himself a hard time? Why the long face? You could say the same for us. If this is the life that we have now for our sin, why don't we make the most of it? If the cost of um, adultery is my broken family, well, why don't I just make the most of that and try and make good out of it? The answer is that there is more to come. There is more justice to come. That's why Nehemiah can't leave this lie. That's why you and I cannot leave this lie. Because it's not just spoiled livelihoods, ruined families, exile and all of that. The, the justice that comes to us for sin is exile from the Lord himself. When you look at verses 8 and 9 there in chapter 1, it's references to being removed from the Lord, from his house. And when he brings them back, it's bringing them back to himself. That is the problem. Exile from the Lord, the source of all life and goodness, being cast away from God himself. That is what Nehemiah is really mourning. He knows that this exile is just a shadow, a picture of what? 
What is his exile a picture of? But the judgment to come. When he and his people would be cut off, not just from Jerusalem, but from the Lord. There's a, a crucial memory verse here for you to, for you to learn. Uh, if you don't know it, please commit it to memory, write it down or whatever it is, because it's so important. Romans 6, chapter, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, which says this, the wages of sin is death. If you die in sin, if you die under judgment, you will enter an endless exile far away from the Lord Jesus, the only saviour. Far from his friendship, far from his fatherhood, far from the love of Jesus. You know, Jesus is the source of everything and anything good. And we will be cut off from him completely and forever. You know, I've already learned that there are two types of funerals. Some people, when they uh, have their funeral, they leave death behind. And they go to be with the Lord Jesus, the source of all life and goodness forever. But others leave the Lord Jesus behind in this life and all the goodness that they've ever known from him and any hope of salvation. They leave him behind and they go into death forever. Why is Nehemiah so desperate to confess sin and leave it all behind and return to the Savior? It's because the Savior is faithful in judgment. Nehemiah wants his funeral to be one where he leaves death behind and goes to be with the Savior, his Christ. And he can't do that alone. And so that's why he's pouring out his heart. Now, here's the proof. Because surely not, you know, it's, we talk about a God of love and a God of compassion. Does he really take sin this seriously? Well, here's your proof, okay? God has a son. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is in every conceivable way absolutely wonderful. He is the pleasure and the object of the Father's unending love. He is perfect. There's no way to describe how utterly fantastic this person, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, is. He is so perfect that he is one with the Father. He is God. And yet, when my sin and when your sin and Nehemiah's sin, when our sins were put on him, the perfect Son of God, the Father didn't just turn his face away. He didn't just ignore it. He didn't, uh, he didn't just wink at it or not look at it or ignore it in order to save his perfect Son whom he loved. The father is faithful in justice. And so he executed his own beloved son. On the cross, he put Jesus into exile, far away from himself, far away from life, far away from anything good, so that guilty sinners like you and me need not be put into that exile. And that's what takes me into my favorite part. What we learn about the Lord here, that he is faithful, not just in justice, but in mercy, in mercy. You see that in verses 9 and 10 especially. And again, we're going to see how this mercy is already here. There is more to come and then proof. 
Nehemiah is as assured of the judgment here as he is of mercy. And so uh, when we remember, remember the beginning of the chapter uh, in verses one and two, his brother came to him from Jerusalem, didn't he? His family were already experiencing the mercy of God. You see that in verse 10 of his prayer, where he refers to his own people already leaving exile and going to Jerusalem. We'll hear about that tonight, God willing. Although they were sinners, verse 6, deserving of judgment, verse 8, the Lord had already showed them mercy, verses 9 and 10. They were already being freed from their exile that they earned and brought back to the Lord's house, to his presence, to his people, to his lands, to anticipate the saviour, the Lord Jesus, who will come and save them. So it's already there. And yet, wonderfully, even this is just a shadow of the mercy to come. The people of God leaving exile and returning to Jerusalem, what's that a picture of? It's a picture of the greater mercy to come. You remember that crucial memory verse I gave you a moment ago? The wages of sin is death. Here's the rest of the verse, and this is why you should uh, definitely commit it to memory. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the mercy that is yet to come upon God's people. You know, those who make like Nehemiah, and you can do this too, you can break yourself down and confess your sin. Say with Nehemiah in verse 6, I have sinned, my people have sinned, it is so bad this situation, I can't plug all these holes in my sinking boat. I am going down because of my sin in myself and in all of my people and my society. Everything is corrupted, even my greatest works are like filthy rags, there's always sin left. If we come to God like that, confessing our sin and trusting him for his mercy, then he will show us that mercy. We come to him and say, I can't help myself. You have to help me. I'm in exile that I have earned. You have to set me free. You have to wash my sin away. When we do that, we will never fear exile from the Lord Jesus ever again. The source of all goodness, our saviour, the Lord Jesus, the source of all life, he will become ours. We will be permanently in his presence. You know, the Bible says, Jesus promised this himself, that when we believe in him, he himself will move into our hearts. You see that in John 14. The Lord Jesus will move into our hearts. Nehemiah, you and I, we know, we know, don't we? We can't clean ourselves up. Can we? Can we really clean ourselves up, bring ourselves to the standard of perfection that the Lord requires of us? Absolutely not. What is our destiny then? What are, what's going to happen to us if we carry on in this way in our sin? Well, God's justice is going to fall on us. We'll pay for it in this life and in the life to come. And so we must, you must, and I must, every day cast ourselves upon the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, our only saviour. You know, 
when, uh, when Nehemiah is quoting his Bible here, talking about the Lord's mercy, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, where the Lord makes it really plain that forgiven sinners, forgiven sinners are not those who clean themselves up. Forgiven sinners are not those who turn over a new leaf. Forgiven sinners are those who are given a new heart, new lives, new spirits by which we can love the Lord Jesus and love to be with him. That's what we need to beg him for. You know, in short, this, this is it. And if, if it's the case that you've drifted off and you've lost concentration, you know, that happens. Don't worry. But this is something to really pay attention to. Just one sentence. Write it down. Listen. We are sinners who earn death now and forever. But if we confess our sins and trust in the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus will show us mercy now and forever. That's the gospel. Surely not. A God faithful to justice showing such mercy to sinners? Doesn't that seem a bit inconsistent to you? Surely not. Okay, here's the proof. The proof is again, once again, the answer is the cross. The cross proves to you and to me how seriously the Lord takes our sin. And it also proves how the Lord can be the justifier and just. By that, I mean all of our sin, that wickedness, our filthy rags, all of the sin that is always there, that there's always more of, God himself, the Father, takes it off of us and puts it onto his Son. Jesus, on the cross, takes the death, he takes the exile, he takes the judgment, he takes the justice. He is the one who receives hell on the behalf of sinners who trust in him. And to the sinner, to you and me who've had our sins taken away and put on the Saviour, we are given his goodness, his perfection, that standard of holiness that we can't reach on our own. His is given to us so that we are forgiven and given new hearts with which we can love the Saviour. It is my unmitigated pleasure and privilege to tell you to look to Jesus. Look at him on the cross and see in that that you and I, are we are all sinners. We're so messed up, we're so guilty, we're so broken, it takes the death of the Son of God to fix us. Now look at Jesus and see the faithfulness of God to judge that sin, that he would even do that to his own son, to judge sin. You and I, we deserve that wrath. We deserve that judgment. We deserve that death. But it's not us, is it? It's the Lord Jesus hanging on that cross. We deserve that death, but he took that death. He died like a filthy, rotten sinner, Instead of us, he died for us.
So we see in the cross the faithfulness of God to show mercy to all who call upon him. Have mercy on me, the sinner. When we do that, like Nehemiah, you and I, we will stop anticipating judgment. And instead, we will receive mercy. We will receive a new life. We will receive a new heart. We will receive a new spirit. We will receive a gift from him, certain hope of everlasting life with Jesus who loves us and gives himself for us. That's the gospel that's in Nehemiah's prayer. As you read it, you see into his heart, you see he knows he's a sinner because the word of God says so. And so am I. And when we read his prayer, we see something of the Lord, that the Lord is faithful to judge sin. And that he's faithful to show mercy because he judged his son instead of those who trust on him. I'm going to give the last words to, um, to the Bible. I'm going to read a few verses from Romans 5, and then I'll quickly pray before we sing our last hymn together. So these words come from Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, we were, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more will we be, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we have sinned against ourselves and other people and against you first and foremost. And Lord, when you look upon us, surely you see all of our sins. We don't even understand how many there are and how awful they are and how much they must grieve you. And yet, Lord, you had pity upon us, though we offended you so greatly. And you gave up your own son so that we may confess our sins, believe in him and be saved. Oh, Lord, we pray and plead with you to give us these gifts. Give us repentance. Give us faith. Give us the Lord Jesus, we pray. That when you look at us in him, you see his perfection upon us. Oh, Lord, we thank you that there is nothing for us to do but throw ourselves upon him and receive his mercy. Please give these things to us, Lord, for we are needy sinners who cannot help ourselves. Have mercy on us, we plead. Amen.